Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But verse 1, it says, Notice Nahash, the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. Now, it's interesting, this gentleman who is an Ammonite, his name is Nahash, and his name literally means serpent. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. As we begin in chapter 11 in the book of 1 Samuel, we learn how Israel's enemies were continuing to attack. The Ammonite enemy surrounded the Israelite city of Jabesh-Gilead, and simply by doing so, Nahash the Ammonite made his demands clear. They were to surrender to him or be conquered. This is the same way Satan attacks us. Satan wants to humiliate us and exalt himself over us. Through humiliating one saint, Satan wants to bring reproach on all God's people. Now let's join Pastor Rob. First Samuel, we're going to probably just look at chapter 11 tonight. It might be a shorter night than usual because we're going to have communion as well. And like I shared with you a few moments ago, there is a a picture up on the screen. And for those of you who may be viewing online or perhaps uh, on the radio at some point in the near future, um, basically what I'm describing to you is a a map of, of Israel. And basically, if you were to look, and really the, the places that we are going to be talking about tonight are... Um, I was looking for something, bear with me. Uh, mainly, the, 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 the things that we're going to be looking at uh, tonight are going to be uh, Jabesh-Gilead. If you are looking at a map of Israel... You'll notice that there is uh, the Sea of Galilee in the north and then the Dead Sea in the south. And the, the Jordan River runs right through the center of the country connecting the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And somewhere uh, just north of the Midway Point, a couple miles east inside, on the east side of the Jordan, is a town called Jabesh-Gilead. And it actually belongs to the town of Gad, or not the town, but the tribe of Gad. And you'll also notice off to the far east of that, to the, the right, if you will, is that uh, you can see the letters Ammon, but that's the land of Ammon, and, or the Ammonites. That's where they came from. And so as we are looking at this chapter tonight, I want you to just glance up every now and then and take a look at this map, and you can kind of get an idea of where we are going, okay? And so 
certainly as we get into chapter 11, last time we were together, before we went to sunny Florida at Christmas, we looked at chapter 10. And in chapter 10, we saw Saul anointed king. In fact, we're going to see something interesting about Saul. It seems like he was anointed or or proclaimed king three different times. The first time we saw him privately ordained king with oil being poured over him was, if you remember, in chapter 10. And in the beginning um, of just the first couple of verses, we see Samuel anointing Saul as the head of of the king of Israel. And um, the United Kingdom, Judah and, uh, and the Northern Ten Tribes, the whole thing. And later on, over around verse uh, 17, we also see that Saul is, again, anointed king by the state, if you will, by the whole entire nation. And they do something really interesting, and I love this about Samuel. You know, God told Samuel that he was to anoint Saul. But as he goes and they meet at Mizpah, which is a a gathering area, as they meet at Mizpah, evidently by the choice of, by by the use of lots, and you know what casting of the lots is, it's it's like a a chance thing where you, you know, you hold out three straws and you you cut them uh, at the top and underneath you can't see how short the straws are and then you pull one. And the shortest straw is the, you know, whatever they designate it for. That, that's the idea of casting lots. You're kind of narrowing it down. And you're letting God be the one who uh, orchestrates all that. And certainly he does that. And when they meet at Mizpah, they do that very same thing. They cast lots. And just to confirm to the people of Israel that God is in control of this, certainly the lot goes to Kish and, you know, to Benjamin and then to Kish and his family. And then ultimately San, or Saul is chosen. And so this is just further declaration that God is uh, giving them really what they asked for. And he really was the best specimen that any human being could want. Because normally when people think of kings, they think of somebody who's good-looking, who's tall. And really, that's about the end of it. They don't really care if the guy can speak. They don't care if he's a a good leader or not. They may not know that, but boy, is he good-looking. He's taller than everybody else. That's good enough for us. And that's honestly good enough for most people. And we're going to find uh, tonight in chapter 11 that they're going to anoint Saul king again, but it's going to be after his first battle, when the country, when the nation is really filled with a national fervor. It's really their first battle with their very first king, and it's going to be decisive. It's going to be a great victory, and there's going to be great celebration. And they're going to anoint him again, this time at Gilgal, but we'll look at that. But um, And so, obviously, we're looking at the career of Saul, which really covers from chapters 8 through 15. And so let's read uh, chapter 11 in its entirety, then we're going to go back and take a look at it. Because it's important that, as we read it, we get the context of what's happening here. And so, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead, And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all of your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. Yes, please. Does that sound like a really great thing? This is the covenant. We're going to take out your right eyes. Sounds like a great idea. Sign me up. 
So verse 3, Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days, that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel, and then if no one... If there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. And basically, they'd basically surrender their eyes and um, be a reproach to Israel, right? What a great plan. So verse 4. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, which is where Saul was born, Gibeah in Benjamin. And all the people lifted up their voices and they wept. They wept. And so now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people? Why that they weep. And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. And then notice what happens in verse 6, as we have seen in uh, chapter 10 at least two or three times. It says, the Spirit of God came, what? Upon Saul. Not in him, but upon him when he heard this news. And his anger was greatly aroused. And so he took a yoke of oxen, cut them in pieces, sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so shall it be done to his oxen. And notice, and the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. When he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. So a total of 330,000. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. And then the messengers came, and they reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. And I would be too, because they were outnumbered, outgunned, and now they've got help coming. And certainly Nahash, the Ammonite, does not know this. He's assuming that it's not going to happen because they were so disjunct as a nation and things were so bad. You know, that's why they gave them time. They're just like, you know, if you can muster an army big enough to come against us, have at it, we'll give you a week. (laughs) Right? So, therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people, notice, in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch, and they killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. And then the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day. For today, the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. You might want to circle that verse, because that's probably the best and the last time you hear Saul doing anything of greatness. Right in that verse. Star it, verse 13, or underline it. Let me repeat it. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. And then Samuel said to the people, Come. Let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And so all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So it's kind of a unique thing, isn't it? When you see a man kind of having this honor bestowed upon him three different times, one was very private, one was very public of the nation, and then another one, after his first battle that he won with the armies of Israel, they they do it again. They do it again at Gilgal. And so we'll look at that. But let's go back to verse 1, because there's some interesting things in this chapter uh, that it's easy to, as you read it, just to kind of glance by. 
But I think having a, an understanding of the history of Israel is really important. And I would encourage you, as you read the Bible, follow those references. Follow those cross-references. Look at um, uh, commentaries. They'll give you some extra uh, passages of Scripture to, to lean upon so that you kind of get the idea. And I would encourage you, in any time you read the Bible, try not to just read it as a textbook. Think of yourself as being in the story And again, it's not just a story, but put yourself in the history. Put yourself in the moment and think about what is happening. Think about all the people involved. And believe me, as you do that, your Bible study, your Bible experience, your time in the Word of God will be much richer, much fuller, much more rewarding. And I think you'll see tonight why that is, because uh, it's it's a wonderful thing that we see here. But verse 1, it says, notice, Nahash, the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. Now, it's interesting, this gentleman who is an Ammonite, his name is Nahash, and his name literally means serpent. How would you like to have your name Serpent? I mean, what happened when he was born? Did his mother bring him out? You know, most people, when when their babies are born, every baby this happens to, by the way, at Rochester General, wherever they're born, they come out and they're all covered in blood and afterbirth and everything. Oh, he's so, she's so cute, he's so cute, the cutest thing you've ever seen, and it really is, especially with the parents. You know, this is this child was made in our likeness. Of course, it's gorgeous, right? But for Nahash's mom to him to come out and look at him, oh, I think I'll name him um, Serpent. Kind of makes you wonder what that's all about. But his name meant serpent, and he was an Ammonite, which means, if we were to look at a map of Israel, these are the people that govern the eastmost side of the uh, Jordan River, on the other side of Gad and the East Manasseh, and Gad and Reuben on the eastern side. Over on the even more east than that is the, the land of Ammon, and this is where the Ammonites came from. And these also are the people, if you recall, in Genesis 19, after Sodom and Gomorrah was overthrown, remember the angels of the Lord came and they tried to get Lot and his family, his girls and their husbands, tried to get them, and his wife too, tried to get them out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they resisted, and they resisted, and they resisted, and finally the angel just grabs them, you know, and, and takes them out. The, the, the son-in-laws aren't, they, they stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah, but the two girls and Lot and his wife began to make the run for the hills because God was bringing a great judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember, Lot's wife turned around, became a pillar of salt. And then as a result of, of all of this calamity, uh, Lot and his two girls, they hide up in the mountains. And it tells us, in Genesis 19, that the girls began to hatch a plan, thinking that their history was over, and now they've got to figure out a, a way to raise up seed under their family, under their dad, right? So they, ha- they get this crazy idea of getting their dad uh, all liquored up on schnapps, or whatever it is, getting, getting him drunk. And so it says in Genesis 19, and, and honestly, this is a, a horrible thing when, when, you, when you read of it, but you know the thing I'm learning? <laughs> Unfortunately, I've learned this. It's some of the most wicked things that, of humanity that are shown to us in the Bible. The reason they're there is not because God is trying to discourage us, but he's basically saying this is, this is what man is up to. Apart from my spirit dwelling in him, this is what he's capable of. And it's ugly. 
And it's ugly. And we see that certainly here. It says in verse 36 of Genesis 19, it says, Both the daughters of Lot, as a result of this plot that they hatched by getting their father drunk and then going in and lying with him separately, it says that the the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab, which is that that people group to the south, uh, southeast of the Dead Sea. And he is the father of the Moabites to this day. And in verse 38 it says, And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. So those people living to the east are the Ammonites. And these are the ones that came against Israel. The, the illegitimate sons of Lot. And I find it interesting that everything east of the Jordan River ultimately had a lot of problems. But, I mean, certainly those who went into the promised land had problems too, but they followed the Lord and believed the Lord, and they went into the promised land. And these other tribes, you know, Reuben down in the south, Gad, and then the half-tribe of Manasseh, they, they were content on being on the, right, on the right side, on the east side of the Jordan. They were the first ones, by the way, to be picked off by the Assyrians. The first ones. And notice now, so this Ammonite, Nahash, the product of this incestuous relationship of Lot and his daughter, says in verse 2, that Nahash, the Ammonite, answered them. And he says, on this condition, I'll make a covenant with you. Because they wanted peace. They realized they were outnumbered. They tell Nahash, look, we'll make a covenant with you, whatever you want. And this is what Nahash said to them. On this condition, I'll make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. What a horrible thing. The right eye, the right toe, the right thumb, these were all significance of, of power and strength. The right hand, the right side, the right eye, the right thumb, the right big toe. These things were always in significance. And so they're going to take out their right eye, and this would really be a reproach to Israel. But you have to, under, you have to ask yourself, why all this hostility? Why are the Ammonites so hostile toward these people? There's probably more than one reason to this, but there's a truism about the Near and Middle East, and that is people don't easily uh, forget what has happened in the past. And ancient national skirmishes and wars, all that hatred that is still, it's just like right under the surface, right under the surface, easily ignited by just one comment, by one action, Things can get heated and battles can happen all the time or, you know, very quickly. And have you ever met somebody like that or, or nations that are so bitter? You see that with the Israelites and the Palestinians or so they're called. It just, it, it's, the, 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 there's so much bitterness there. It doesn't take much for a firefight to kick out, at least it used to. But notice what the reason this hostility is there is you remember in Judges chapter 11. And you may be wondering, what is Judges chapter 11? Write that down in the margin of your Bible because this is when Jephthah, if you recall, who was a Gileadite, who was one of these men born near Jabesh Gilead on that side of the uh, Jordan River on the east side. He lived in a town and he had brothers and his father had had an illicit relationship with a, with a prostitute. And thus, Jephthah was born. And so he was an illegitimate son. His other brothers didn't look at him. Uh, They looked at him with disdain. But Jephthah had one thing going for him, and that is he had a band of marauders. He had a big band of men, and they would go out um, and, and do raids and things of that nature. 
And so now when the Ammonites are coming, uh, or, or I'm sorry, when the um, Ammon comes against the same area that we're talking about tonight, Jabesh, or you know, that area in Gilead, they, they come to Jephthah and they said, hey, will you help us out? And he's like, you mean you've been castigating me and casting me off from society because I'm an illegitimate son and now because I got a band of guys who know how to use knives and spears and everything, now you want my help? And they said, yes. And he says, will you make me a king if I deliver you in your battle? And they said, finally they acquiesced, yes, we'll do that. So he does. Jephthah and the men come and they really do a number on the Ammonites and just really take care of business. And so we can see And this battle that Jephthah had against the Ammonites was at least 150 years prior to what we're looking at historically tonight in chapter 11. About 150 years. So 150 years have passed by and and, and the animosity is still there. It's It's not uncommon to see this kind of thing, is it? Between nations, between people. 150 years go by and even the English and the French have a problem. You know, or even the English and Americans sometimes can have problems. You know, certain nationalities just don't get along. But notice in verse 3 with me, it says, Then the elders of Jabesh said to Nahash, Hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel, and then if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. We will come out to you. This sounds weird to us, and it actually did to me as well. But one thing we have to remember is that ancient warfare was very brutal. Ancient, ancient warfare was brutal, But yet there were rules of engagement. There was an etiquette about battle back then. There was an honor in battle. And and so these men from from, uh, Nahash and the Ammonites, you know, the, um, the, the elders of Jabesh said to them, you know, hold off and we'll see if we can get help. And these Ammonites were so confident that they wouldn't, number one, be able to get help. And even if they were able to muster a handful they would still be outnumbered by the Ammonites and be destroyed. And so the uh, Ammonites said, fine, we'll give you seven days, you know. Feeling in their heart, there's no way they're going to get this done because the whole nation is in such disarray, morally in decline. And so the messengers, verse 4, they came to Gabeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people, and all the people uh, uh, lifted up their voice and they wept. And you might ask yourself, why are they weeping? I mean, they're from a tribe on the other side of the Jordan. Why are they weeping? Why, why is Benjamin weeping for what happened over there? The lives of the people of Gabeah of Benjamin and those of Jabesh-Gilead from the tribe of Gad, their lives, their history is intertwined. And you may be asking yourself, what do you mean? Well... It's significant because it's very possible that Saul, all the men of Gabeah, uh, and in fact, all of Benjamin's matriarchs, their mothers, their grandmothers, maybe, maybe even their great-grandmothers, were from Jabesh Gilead. So Saul's own mother or grandmother, or perhaps her, even his great-grandmother, came from Jabesh Gilead. If you remember, and again, I think this is interesting to look at, in Judges chapter 19, I want to summarize for you really quickly. It won't take that long. The three chapters in Judges 9 through 21. 
And if you remember in Judges chapter 19, there was a Levite who lived in Ephraim, and he uh, came down, his, he had a, a concubine who, was, who played the harlot on him, and she went back uh, home to Bethlehem from Ephraim. She went down south to Bethlehem. Finally, the Levite comes after her and finds her at her father's home where she used to live. And so he's talking with his father. He wants to bring his concubine back home with him. And remember, this guy's a Levite. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.